You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, we are uh, we're getting down to it. Today is July 20th. The Green Bay Packers Rookies Report, July 22nd. So we have two days until the Packers Rookies Report to Green Bay. Again, that doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of um, there being a massive amount of news or anything. You know, it's not like they hit the ground and uh, start playing and getting picks and everything else. But we're still getting there. Um, today, the Raiders veterans report. So Devontae's showing up today. So maybe there'll be a little bit of something there. I don't know. Packers veterans show up next Tuesday. So a little bit more, a uh, little bit more slow grinding, but we are officially getting there. And it's it's a positive, but also somewhat of a, a drawback that now we're starting to see the countdown to the regular season. I saw somebody like, hey, only 50 days until the kickoff. And I'm like, oh, man. I mean, it's great that we're getting to the point where we're doing the regular season countdown. But at the same time, it's like, dude, we, we're just finally getting to the end of this countdown. Don't start another countdown. It's like when you go on a long road trip and you get on this real long stretch and it's like 120 miles and it's like, ugh. And then you finally are whittling away in it. And they're like, oh, we're, we got less than 10 miles to go. And then you get all excited and you finally, finally can like turn. And you take the exit and it's like, yes, we finally did it. And then it you pops up 324 miles to go. It's like, okay, all right. Well, darn. <laughs> but obviously in between um, the training camp, which is what we finally are coming to, and the regular season is something else that we could count down to and get excited about, and that's the preseason. And we are a little more than three weeks away from the Packers and 49ers on August 12th. That is, what, three weeks and two days away? But there is a question about um, the preseason that keeps coming up. And maybe I'm just wrong about this, because everybody seems to be in lockstep about the preseason just being a complete waste of time, and nobody should ever... We just we should just do away with it. I, I I don't get that. I don't know where everybody stands on it, but it's one of those things that you just kind of see little bits here and there, and I don't know, just kind of walk past it like oh, that's weird and whatever. And and I saw it again today. It's a article that I, I saw from a couple days ago, but it's like, all right, why don't we park here for a minute and talk about it? Ken Lass over at Cheesehead TV wrote an article. Uh, Is it time to dump preseason games? Do they really help teams get ready for the season? Not going to read his whole article, but I just want to kind of pick out some of the points that he makes here. Kind of goes over the history of it, which is interesting, by the way. I, I don't know. I never knew any of this information, so we might as well go over it. Basically saying back in the day, obviously in the in the 20s and whatnot, baseball was was king, right? Nobody really cared about football all that much. 
And if anybody did care about football, college was kind of a bigger deal than the pros. And so you had your NFL season, but none of these guys were making any money. And so they would have these additional exhibition games. They'd play college teams. They'd play whatever they could find before and uh, after the NFL season. He says they're kind of like a traveling roadshow, like a circus. These contests, uh, the games outside of the NFL season, were called exhibition games because their purpose ostensibly was uh, to exhibit what pro football was about. In truth, they only existed because the pro teams wanted the extra money. He says 100 years later, nothing has really changed. The NFL doesn't like the term exhibition games because it implies a lack of meaningfulness and relevance. So now they call them preseason games, but they still exist for one major reason, and that's money. Um, all right, let, let's pause here, I guess, for a second. No, I, I, I don't think I want to pause. Let, let's keep going. I want to let him keep making his points because I'm... So if I were to kind of bullet point this... Um, number one is that they won't even, many coaches, including Matt LaFleur, will not even play their starters for fear of injury. Um, that preseason is basically just something you try to survive. He then says, as for the, um, let's say, backups or lesser experienced players, does it actually give them that much experience? He said, you know, for example, Jordan Love, how much help is it to Jordan Love to put him up against a bunch of ragtag players that aren't really starters or whatever? Did it get him ready for the Chiefs last fall? He says there's a growing trend of, of uh, trying to accomplish the same thing by not having preseason or, or outside of preseason games, which is joint practices. He says injuries can happen, but they're less likely. I don't know that to be true, but that's his statement. He also posits the theory that um, the XFL, USFL are leagues that exist, and if they wanted to, the NFL could lend some of its young players there. I think we're kind of getting into the weeds a little bit with that. I don't see you talking about like sending Jordan Love to the XFL to get experience. I don't know that I understand that entirely. He says the XFL is set to try again in February. Both leagues would swoon at the possibility of the NFL loaning some of its young players to them for purposes of gaining experience in game action. So I I don't know. I, I, I guess I get it. I think we kind of jump too much to the whole, um, you know, big greedy corporation thing. This is useless. They just do it to to try to get money. I don't think the preseason, I mean, there's money in it, no question about it, but it's not exactly a massive revenue earner like the regular season or obviously the playoffs or anything like that. I think we're maybe overselling the profit motive and underselling the benefits. For me, the, the biggest part of this is the fact that this is the cutdown time. The teams use this to establish the cutdowns, and, and the only point that I could see as a counterpoint that would be relevant to that is the part where you say, well, what about joint practices? I don't see how that's any different. I mean, if you're saying that a joint practice is not going to be as much live tackling, then I would say then it gives you less information to be able to make a qualified, you know, determination of who stays and who goes. I mean, yeah, from an entertainment standpoint, it's not that interesting, but we, we have a lot of players that we need to figure out how this thing shakes out. I mean, that was what a lot of people are trying to figure that's what the, the, the calls were about yesterday, you know, about the 53 and who's going to make it. And Bruce is trying to break it down and see what he thinks or in, in JJ, apparently they have some kind of a competition to see who gets more correct or whatever, but there's a lot of questions and who ends up going into the regular season and, and who ends up going on the practice squad and who ends up getting cut. It's a, it is a big decision. I mean, the Packers have capitalized on teams making cuts that they should not have. And we end up picking them up, and they're great contributors for us. And we don't want to make that mistake. And if we go into the season 
with whatever knowledge we have now or based on a couple practices, I, I just don't think that that's going to be as um, as good of a determination. And, and maybe I'm overselling it. Maybe, maybe, you know, I mean, how many opportunities does a guy like, uh, you know, Samori Ture, what, what, how, how many targets is he going to get? And, and how likely is it if he's outside of that roster bubble to get onto the roster bubble? What's he going to do? Now, there, there, there is a question of what about special teams, right? I mean, you know that in practice, they're not going to be practicing special teams in any kind of meaningful way. They're not going to be tackling on special teams in practice, joint practice or otherwise. But in a preseason game, they are. And so if a guy like Samore, um, Samori, if his, if his path to the regular season is being a returner, for example... How in the world is he going to prove himself outside of preseason? I mean, it it sounds silly to say that he's going to get his job in a preseason game, but it's not. And we know that this happens. I mean, we've watched, um, what is that dumb show? I haven't watched it in years, but I don't know. That that NFL show where they kind of go through a, a team's preseason and whatnot. Guys do make it in the preseason. I mean, to be honest, it, it it's probably the best look that they get. And that's how they make their final determinations. So. Um, no, I, I don't really see it as, you know, the preseason is useless. It's just a greedy corporation trying to make a little bit extra money. I think that's a little bit too cynical of a of a look. As far as, you know, how much does it actually help Jordan? You know, di- to, to say that that didn't help you get ready for the Chiefs, I mean, first of all, it, it could just be that he's not good at football. Second of all, yeah, it, you know, 15 throws or however however many opportunities he had in a game and then sitting for seven weeks. And then getting thrust into a Chiefs game in which I don't know if he had hardly any practice or preparation didn't work out too well, you know, okay, fine. But to say that it hasn't done any good for him, I mean, it would the only thing he's had is preseason. You want to take that away from him? You think it's not going to hurt him? To say that because he didn't come out and perform like a quarterback that's had five years of professional experience under his belt means that the preseason has no benefit doesn't really, doesn't really naturally follow, you know what I mean? And so I, I, I guess I don't really understand the disdain for the preseason. I understand that it's boring, and I understand the frustration because it doesn't necessarily um, improve the regular season as much as everybody wants it to. All I care about is the regular season. All I care about is the starters, and you're not making the starters better, and occasionally somebody gets hurt, so this is a waste of time, and it's just a greedy corporation and blah, 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 blah. Just, just see it for what it is. It's backups trying to make the team, okay? Yeah, it might not be the most interesting or entertaining thing in the world. Oh, well. And yeah, maybe more teams should start or, or sit all their starters. Fine, do it. Then just make it what it is. It's, it's not preparation for the regular season. It's, it's uh, you know, if you want to call it exhibition game for backups to try to make the team, fine. Because that, that's ultimately what it is. But that is valuable. And yes, they are gaining experience. Of course they are. If the preseason doesn't help, for example, Romeo Dobbs, if, if the preseason doesn't offer him any assistance by going out and playing in a game on Lambeau Field, running with Matt LaFleur's playbook, then practice doesn't help. What's the point? Maybe we should do away from with practice. You telling me that actually, about, about, you know what I mean? So I, you know, I get it's not the most exciting thing. And um, I get that with resting starters, it doesn't necessarily help as far as the starters 
performance in week one, which is is kind of debatable because that's a big question too, right? The Packers rest all the starters. They come out flat in week one and everybody gets mad because they didn't perform or try in the preseason. That alone makes it kind of hard to argue that the preseason does nothing. And even players have talked about that. You know, we, we can talk about, well, they're they're staying fresh in the offseason. They're working out. They're they're doing all these things. But players will tell you that there's, there's being NFL or, or game ready, being in game shape, which a lot of times means just getting hit. You know, you haven't been hit since last year. And, you, you know, I've heard Aaron Rodgers or other quarterbacks talking about that, too. You kind of get that the the jitters and then you get hit and you get that first one out of the way and it's like all right you know i i'm i'm ready you know i, I back in the day i used to do a lot of landscaping and you'd kind of start off in spring you know it's still kind of cold outside or whatever but as the temperature increases you'll find that you know it's starting to get warm out sweating like crazy and you're drinking like gallons of water just dying out there so hot Your body just can't quite handle it you know the muscles are hurting my hands are hurting I'm I'm dying of heat, dying of thirst. And the next thing you know, it's the peak of summer. It's it's, you know, 97 degrees outside, and you can work several hours without drinking anything because your body just kind of gets accustomed to it again. And you can't really maintain that because your body has to get reaccustomed to the heat all over again and and working those specific muscles again and it's just a process you have to go through. So you can either go through that process of trying to get reaccustomed to playing in an NFL game week one, or you can get reaccustomed to it in the preseason. And, and again, we've basically established that the stars are going to have to get reaccustomed week one. That's just the way it is. I mean, that sucks, but okay, I get it. You don't want them to get injured in a preseason game. But that doesn't mean everybody has to go through that. And it certainly doesn't mean it's useless. So I, I mean, I get it to a point, but I'm, I'm just, I can't get there. And I, and I think saying that it's useless is, is wildly overstating it. If you want to make the case that it's it's um, oversold in terms of its use, okay, but it is not useless. One of the things he mentions is, and again, he's stuck on the revenue thing, refusing to acknowledge that maybe that's not actually the whole thing, but um, basically saying that you know if you drop the preseason, you could just add an 18th game, and then you can make up for the revenue, but the union would would fight against it too hard, and that's why they they haven't done it. There's going to be an 18th game. That's going to happen. So, I mean, the union can kick, kick and scream all they want. That's that's That will happen at some point anyways. And again, kind of at, at the end of this, talking about how, you know, look at 2021. They played all, pre, all the preseason games, and then week one, look how bad they looked. Again, it's not about preparing the starters. They didn't play the starters. So it doesn't make any sense to say that the preseason didn't prepare the starters for week one. Well, duh, the starters didn't play. That isn't the point. The preseason this year isn't about Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. It's about the other running backs. It's about Kylan Hill, Patrick Taylor, Tyler Goodson, and B.J. Baylor. Who ends up making the team? I mean, how, how are B.J. Baylor and Tyler Goodson going to make any kind of a name for themselves outside of the preseason? You think in practice they're going to have enough information with zero tackling? That's impossible. It's not about Tunyon, Lewis, DeGuara. It's about Tyler Davis, uh, Mack, and Wolf. right? It's about... Zach Tom and Sean Ryan and Jake Hansen, Josh Neisman and Rasheed Walker. And it also is going to help the rookies. The rookies are going to be playing for the fir- this is their first opportunity to play in a NFL game while it's against backups. What's well, better than nothing? And no, practice is not the same thing. It's just not. And yeah, sometimes some guy comes flying around trying to make a name for himself and hits him hard because that's what happens in the NFL. That's the point. I mean, we can we can remove all physicality and say go practice and basically have no 
actual game experience and try to make a determination of how a player plays in shorts and in in t-shirt or you know strap them up and see how it goes you know get Devontae Wyatt out there and have him actually go hit somebody not that he's not gonna you know get cut from the team it's not about making a determination but it would be nice to get him a little bit of live action same with Quay Walker maybe not a ton because we know he's going to be a starter but it'd be nice to get him a little bit of game action for the first time ever before week one put on a little bit of film and in a live game against a, a, a different opponent so that you can get a little bit of film to go back on and say hey we got to work on this that or the other thing get give me something on these guys so you know again it's it's not it's not perfect, but it's not useless. It's, you can go too far in either direction. And I don't really see the purpose of getting rid of it. I, I don't. I mean, because it's useless isn't a reason. Injuries aren't really a reason because we've already established that starters don't play. And the fact of the matter is, if, if we're worried about injuries to guys that are not make the roster, ask them. Those are the guys that want to play. You take away that, you take away their one opportunity for the roster. Again, it's the same with all these things. We, we try to protect the guys who are further down the depth chart. They don't want to be protected. These are the guys that want more practice. They want more preseason games. They want more opportunities. It's, it's the, the veterans, the guys like Rodgers and the guys who already have these major... Con- they're the ones that want less game, less practice, less preseason games because they've already got the money. They've already locked up their spot. You think Danny Davis doesn't want a preseason game? What other opportunity? He has no chance, zero chance. He doesn't need to be protected. He needs a shot. He needs an opportunity. If it were up to him, there'd be six preseason games. And they go back to two-a-days because they need as much practice as they could possibly get and opportunities with the coaches and to learn and to, to grow. They don't need to be protected. They don't want to be protected. So it's about the backups. It's about the second, third, fourth string, fifth string. It's not about Eric Stokes. It's about Raleigh Texada, Keandre Thomas. You know, the, the, we got battles at, at the cornerback, the backup cornerback spots, the backup offensive line spots, the backup safety spots, the pass rushers, the linebackers, defensive tackles. They're, they're trying to establish themselves and get on this roster. So my thought is, if you think it's boring, don't watch it, but let them have their preseason. What it, I mean, what is it hurting? Again, if we establish that these guys aren't going to get hurt and we, we've established that, I mean, the starters aren't going to get hurt and that the backups want it. Then, then why do we need to care or, or complain about it? I don't understand that. Um, speaking of, I mentioned the Samore Ture in particular and the importance of special teams for him and um, kind of gotten away from that discussion a little bit and wanted to sort of revisit it because one of the things that I found interesting as I was poking around, because that, that's the one thing that dawned on me, because I've been saying... I'm a little less optimistic about him. I mean, part of it is because of the amount of guys that we have already got. And and if you listen to the Packernet After Dark that I did last night, talking to or addressing Bruce from Packers Without Borders, his question, I, I feel like we've got six wide receivers that are that are going to be on the roster. So that's already a lot. So if if Ture is going to get on the roster. You have to think special teams is going to be a big part of it. But if you look at what he's done, for example, in college, and, and granted, he's, he seems to be a guy that's built for it, but he really was not good at it in any capacity. Um, just his special teams overall in terms of being a gunner and all those kinds of things, his grades are really not good. Uh, he did a little bit of everything. Um, 10 snaps on kick return, two snaps on kick coverage. 13 snaps on punt return, three snaps on punt coverage. Um, overall grades, 
He had a, in 2021, 55 overall grade. And uh, back in 2017, he had a 60 overall grade. But if you look at him as a return man, which is what most people are going to be interested in, and, and especially if he's going to launch his way onto the roster, the, the most likely way is for him to be a solid return man. The problem is, if you go back to 2017 in Montana, when he played for Montana, he was a kick return guy. Did it seven times, 145 yards, his longest was 31 yards, his average 20.7. Again, just to get to zero, you got to go about 25 yards. There aren't a lot of good kick return guys that can that can get 25 yards on an average kickoff. 20.7 is not great, and he had a 58 overall grade. Punt returning is what he did in Nebraska in 2021. Um, he did it twice. He averaged 4.5 yards. His longest was 10 yards. His other return was for negative one yard. So, I mean, there's just not a lot of experience. It's not to say he can't do it, and, and maybe they'll give him a lot of opportunities. He'll figure it out. It'll be great. But it just doesn't seem to be in the cards necessarily. But that did lead me to look at somebody else that I found extremely interesting that I don't know if I've really addressed it in the past as a very legitimate option. Overall, in terms of special teams, which is outside of the kick and punt returning type stuff, not very promising. This is primarily you're looking at blocking and and being a gunner and whatnot. But as a returner, Romeo Dobbs actually did quite well in Nevada. He didn't do kick returning. Uh, Aside from once in 2021, it was a fair catch. But as a punt returner, um, just looking at grades, for example, 2018 through 2021, he was with Nevada. 58 overall grade, 53 overall grade, and then 71-77. The last two years, he really turned it on. Not only did he perform better, but he's got a lot of returns under his belt. He did it six times as a rookie, eight times as a sophomore, 11 times, and then 13 times. Grand total of 474 punt return yards in total, which, you know, the average is what matters, but that's still a lot of experience. 38 returns for 474 yards. He's done it a ton. And considering he's probably going to be way down the depth chart, you know, there's always a concern of you don't want your star wide receivers to be uh, the return guys on the off chance that they end up getting hurt. But, you know, if, if Dobbs is wide receiver six out of six or maybe seven wide receivers, or possibly number seven out of seven, of course you're going to throw him in on punt returns. But the other kind of crazy thing is as a career average, he has 12.5 yards per return. As a rookie, although the grades weren't necessarily super great, 18.2 yards per attempt. He's been over 10 yards per attempt on punt returns three out of the four years. He does have three muffed punts, but those all came in the first two years, which is why the grades are as low as they are, despite having a really... So his yards per attempt have been high pretty much every year. To put that in context, out of... um, Let's see, how many return guys do we have here? Out of 36 punt returners, only seven were above a 10, above 10 yards per attempt. Amari Rogers' average punt returns, um, eight yards per attempt. The year before, Tyler Irvin, on average, four yards per attempt. Year before that, Tyler Irvin, 7.1 yards per attempt. Which, by the way, the fact that Amari, although not great, is <laughs> the better returner that we've had in who knows how long is, is um, kind of sad. Tremont Williams the year before, 6.9 yards per attempt. Again, remember, Romeo Dobbs, his career average punt return, 13.1 yards per attempt. Or excuse me, that was last year, 12.5 as a career average. But last year, 13 returns, 170 yards, zero muffed punts. His longest was a 47-yard return, and he averaged 13.1 yards per attempt. 
the the highest we've had in recent memory is last year with eight. Last time we had anything close was Trevor Davis, and Trevor Davis was actually quite good. Again, I've I've gone over it a hundred times, but I I made me so angry that everybody wanted the guy gone. He had an eighty-five overall return grade, seventy-two kick return, eighty-four punt return. He had a twelve. 12 yard per attempt um, punt return average. The last time we've had anybody um, that was as high as Dobbs last year was Trevor Davis in 2016. He had on eight returns a 14.4 yard per attempt average. So, I mean, at this point in time, Romeo Dobbs makes the absolute most sense as a punt returner. And I don't know that he's not a pretty solid punt returner. And the other really exciting thing is his grades are, are consistent. He didn't have on, you know, in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve-ish games, he didn't have a single negative grade as a punt returner. And you say, what about Christian Watson? Well, the the good news, bad news here, and again, I don't know how willing they're going to be to use Watson. Um, if I would assume they're going to be very willing, with the exception that he ends up being sort of that that top tier number one. But even then, you know, maybe the willingness to use starters is at a uh, high level. But um, the good news is. He was pretty solid as far as grades are concerned as a return guy, but it's kick returns. He had a 70.7 overall return grade, still just a 20.6 average, which again, not necessarily super great, but the grades are there at least to indicate that there was some ability. So it's entirely possible that if nothing else, we've got Christian Watson as our kick returner and Romeo Dobbs as our punt returner, and both of those um, end up going straight up. He had 14 returns, zero muffed returns. His longest was a 48-yarder, which obviously is is great. But yeah, if, if I had to um, pick somebody today to be our punt returner, it's probably Romeo Dobbs. Uh, one of the things that kind of prompted that was another Cheesehead TV article, but it says the um, path to the roster for Winfrey and Ture is special teams. And again, that's probably true, but I, I don't have a, a ton of hope. That was Paul Brettel that wrote that. I don't I don't have a lot of faith in those guys um, capitalizing on those opportunities. Again, just looking at Dobbs, I, I think he ends up beating out Toure for that job. And I don't think you keep Toure on the roster as a backup punt returner, you know, and that's, that's just, that's without even looking at the rest of the roster and who, I mean, Amari is probably a better returner as much as nobody wants to admit that. But, um, also Winfrey, sa- same thing, right? It's, it's true that that is his path to getting on the 53, but he's never really been super great at it. But it did prompt me to kind of look at a few other people and say who might be promising. And, and that led me to another rookie that we haven't really thought about or looked at. And, and again, he's going to be um, getting a lot of starter snaps. So we kind of look at it with a, eh, I don't know. But uh, Quay Walker, you know, the importance of a, of a dominant tackle like Quay Walker is with the speed that he has. Um, last year, he didn't actually grade out super fantastic as a special teamer. But prior to, if you look at 2020 with Georgia, he had a 70.2 overall grade, which doesn't sound super promising. A 70 compared to a lot of other offensive and defensive grades, not super fantastic. But very few Green Bay Packers had 70 overall grades on special teams. Like, I don't know, four or five out of basically the entire roster at some point playing. And it doesn't take everybody on special teams to be elite, to have a great special teams unit. To just be adequate, we just need a few few players that can do their job. And adding in a kick returner, a punt returner, and a couple guys that can tackle make a heck of a difference. And I think Quay could be somewhat of an ace. I don't know how, again, I don't know how much they're going to use him, but I know it's going to be somewhat. I mean, even Devondre played a little bit last year. Another player to keep an eye on, 
Kind of similar situation, Devontae Wyatt, 74 overall special teams grade. If you look at his four years at Georgia, 58, 58, 60, 74. Now, granted, most of the time he graded out his average. He didn't play a ton, but still, overall 74 overall grade. If Walker and Wyatt can be in the 70s, we basically doubled the amount of good special teams players that we have. Another guy that we kind of already know about, but it's worth mentioning, Tariq Carpenter. He's not in the 70s, but he's basically 70 every year. He's been at Georgia Tech for five years. The last three years, 67, 67, and 69.7. I mean, he's just been consistently good, consistently decent. And again, 6'3", 230, he's like a safety linebacker hybrid. He's kind of built for it. I don't know that he makes the roster, but you know, just looking through the rookie class, these are guys that, if nothing else, are minor upgrades over what we've got on special teams, on top of the fact that we've got one of the more experienced special team, probably the most experienced special teams coach in the entire NFL that's going to try to bring all of this together. So raising the level of, of, of what we've already got, on top of just having a couple guys, Quay, Devontae, Dobbs, Watson, uh, Carpenter, that raise that level. And again, kind of tying this all together, we're going to establish who does what in the preseason. If we don't have a preseason, then we're going to, week one, our returner will be Amari Rodgers, because we're not going to throw Romeo out there based on practice. He might get an opportunity just to kind of ease him in and see how it goes, but we're not going to make an official change. Well, based on what you did in college, Watson, you're the kick returner, Dobbs, you're the punt returner. No, we're going to make sure, we're going to flesh this out in the preseason. I mean, somewhat in practice and in training camp and all that stuff, fine, but again, there's no live tack. We're not going to be you know, sending Quay Walker down the field to smoke Romeo Dobbs on a punt return. That's not going to happen. So anyways, if you'd like to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy would be greatly appreciated. Uh, Packernet.substack.com. You can head over there and grab yourself a free subscription just to kind of poke around, see if it's something interesting that you might be uh, wanting to invest in. But uh, let's take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So somewhat hilariously, there is an article um, talking about how Brittany Favre is on a television show. And then they go on to explain that the point of the show is to see who can I uh, hide their identity the longest. (laughs) The 12 contestants on ABC's new game show Claim to Fame are related to celebrities. But in order to win $100,000, they need to keep their identities hidden. And then again, the, the article is, hey, I know who Brittany is. That's Brett Favre's daughter. Like, oh, thanks. Thanks for that. (laughs) <laughs> I, mean, I don't I don't know how the show works. Maybe people already know, but uh, thanks for the spoiler alert. Not that I'm planning on watching it, but it would be like The Masked Singer, which is another show that I have never watched because it looks stupid. But just be like writing an article like, oh, I know who's coming up next. It's, uh, it's Christopher Walken. I could tell because I checked out his uh, social media and he's flying in. And, uh, so that, so just, just letting you know, just wrote an article just so you know that uh, this is who it is. And again, in order to win the 100000 you need to keep your identity. Maybe it's from each other or something, so it doesn't really matter. And maybe it's already been recorded, so it doesn't matter. I don't know, but it just seems like, why are you writing this? <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. It, it just, it just kind of cracked me up that, um, like, oh, there's a show where people need to keep their identities hidden. Anyways, here's the identity. I figured it out. It's Brett Favre's daughter. Plus, I think the family needs the money, so come on now. Thanks a lot, Kendra from Green Bay Press Gazette. Oh, never mind. I guess she... Further article, she revealed it already, but still. I don't understand that. The show sounds stupid, whatever. Anyways, the moment or moments that everybody's been waiting for, um, the Madden grades have come out. Not all of them. Um, The wide receiver grades were released a couple days ago. Edge rushers yesterday, and then um, running backs will be coming out today. So I don't think it's been as controversial, at least so far. I guess we'll see. If we just kind of filter out, let's just do NFC North. I don't want to go through everybody, but we'll compare it to the rest of the NFC North because that's what we do a lot of the times anyways. Justin Jefferson is number one with a 93 overall grade. If anything, they're underselling the guy, but that's fair enough. Obviously, he's number one. Adam Thielen, they have number two at an 88 overall grade. Um, I'm not going to super complain about that. I, I think if anything, they're underselling Amon Ross St. Brown with a 78 overall grade, but we don't really know that. The interesting thing here is um, they have the third highest grade, Darnell Mooney. Uh, I, again, I would maybe put Amon Ra ahead of that, but you know, it was, it was his rookie year and it was a half a year. So we don't hundred percent know how good he is. So I guess that's fine. The really interesting thing is the, um, next best wide receiver on this entire list is Sammy Watkins with a 79 overall grade. So it's, uh, it's actually tied with Darnell Mooney. After that, they have three lions and then two Packers. So hilariously enough, we get three Packers receivers before we get three, uh, Vikings receivers, and we get it before we get even two Bears receivers. So not saying they're better, but that is kind of funny. 
Um, 79 overall grade for Sammy Watkins, 78 for Randall Cobb, 77 for Alan Lazard. Considering there are only two wide receivers in the entire NFC North with an 80 or higher, I mean, I again, I, I can't complain about it. Um, they did kind of ding the rookies pretty hard, but I think they do that all the time anyways. I don't really know. Um, I guess I could look at what other rookies are getting and whatnot, but actually I, I can because um, the Lions rookie was on the first page. But uh, Christian Watson, 71 overall grade. Amari Rogers, 69. They gave Jamison Williams a 78. I don't know. I, there's nothing here. I mean, I know last year I was, I don't want to say livid because it's stupid and who cares, but there's nothing here that's horrendous. I think maybe Alan Lazard is too low. I mean, putting him not only below Randall Cobb, but below rookie Jamison Williams, below DJ Chark. I mean, I, I would say he's on similar ground with Darnell Mooney, but at the same time, the difference between them, although there's players in between, is 77 and 79. So they're all basically equal. So who cares? Um, yesterday they released edge rushers, which is weird because they call it edge rushers, but there's linebackers in here also. So whatever. But the only thing that matters is that, um, Rashawn Gary is number one and he is the, if I was going to get really upset about something, it would be the fact that Roquan is tied with an 89 overall grade with Rashawn Gary, because again, that's insane. I mean, I get that they just give him grades and kind of average it out or however they do that. Um, speed and acceleration for Roquan are high, which makes sense because he's fast, but giving him an 80 strength and Rashawn Gary has an 83 strength. What in the freaking world are you talking about? Rashawn Gary should be like an 89 strength. Roquan should be like a 62 strength. You are out of your mind with that. They gave him a 96 tackling grade. PFF gave him a 30 run defense grade and they, they gave him a 96 tackling grade toughness and 95. I mean, the, the entire problem with this is everything to do with strength and t- toughness. They think Roquan is, is through the roof, and that's insane. 95 toughness, Rashawn 84. <laughs> what? So whatever. I mean, the, the, the Roquan thing is, is silly, and, and that's, it's for that reason. Yeah, speed, agility, uh, acceleration, all that, fine. Toughness, strength, block shedding, hit power rating, he has an 87. Roquan gets a 78. Are you out of your mind? On top of all that, Devondre Campbell is ranked third here behind Roquan and Eric Kendricks, which is crazy. I mean, if if you want to have the Roquan bias, because again, he fits the mold. He was an early draft pick. He's super fast and he's got some great highlights because yeah, he can cover ground and, and do all those kinds of things. But Kendricks, come on, man. You're going to put Kendricks above Campbell. What has Kendricks done in the last three, four, five years? Well, I guess it, that's, it hasn't been that long. It's been like two to three years, but still, he didn't do anything last year. Then you got Zadarius, then Robert Quinn, then Preston Smith. I think that's all fair. Um, Aiden's all the way down here to 77. That's maybe a little low, but again, he's a rookie. They always kind of dock those guys. So not super upset about really any of this. Um, I'm not going to nitpick Rashawn being at an 89 when he should be higher. Um, I would, I'm sure I would have him quite a bit higher on a lot of these things, but, um, you know, again, they're, they're slow to come around to all these things. He's kind of a first-timer, and his sacks weren't super high. So I guess I'll take it. Um, but it's the Roquan thing that, that to me, is just absurd. And the great thing is they show you how they came to that conclusion, and I can tell you exactly where they're wrong. They made him out to be this big, strong, physical player, and he's not. Again, via PFF's run defense grade, out of 197 linebackers, he ranks 184th. That's with zero filters. That's every linebacker that's that's played. Out of 95 linebackers filtering people that had started or whatever, he's 88th out of 95. 
Devin White is 92nd. So I'm so tired of hearing both of their names, but whatever. We'll get the running backs today. I'm sure there'll be plenty of reasons to get upset about that because, you know, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon will probably be a little lower than they should be. A.J. Dillon probably be even more so. I'm guessing they'll give some love to Aaron Jones. My, my expectation is Aaron Jones will be ranked relatively high. Uh, it'll, it'll probably be like Rashawn, where if it was up to me, it'd be a little bit higher, but I'm probably not going to be too upset as far as nitpicking it. Just guessing here. And then uh, A.J. Dillon, I'm thinking will be kind of quite a bit lower than he should be. He'll be kind of relegated to the the backup running back category, and uh, that'll probably perturb me a little bit. And I'm sure the Bears running back will be higher than he should be, as will Dalvin Cook probably be up in the stratosphere where he doesn't really belong, et cetera, et cetera. On the 21st, you get cornerbacks and defensive linemen. That one will be interesting. And then quarterbacks, I'm sure Rodgers will be up there quite high, so that'll be the end of it. Does it really matter? No, but in the depths of the offseason, I'll, I'll take it in terms of content. And finally, and somewhat similarly, PFF came out with their um, top 50 players series. Another thing that doesn't super matter, but it's a thing. There were, well, it doesn't look like the whole list has been released yet. So there's four so far. So of the top 50, they have gone down um, with all of them except the top 20. So presumably you're going to have, let's see, what, one more? Trying to think if there's anybody I'm missing. I'm thinking Rodgers will be the only one in the top 20. So we can assume that they believe that there are five out of the top 50, which is one in 10, which is obviously a higher rate than average. But anyways, at number five, they have Rashawn Gary. They said Gary was a raw prospect who has immense physical tools when the Packers drafted him. It says last year, he realized all that potential in a major way. He recorded a 90.1 PFF pass rushing grade while racking up 81 pressures over the course of the season and improving as the year went on. He could be even better in 2022. So I think the the biggest reason why I'm, I'm, again, not super upset about him being ranked here. First of all, Max Crosby, who had even better stats than Rashawn did, was ranked one spot below him at, at number 50. But I, I think and again, it's hard to know exactly how to quantify these things, depending on specifically the question. But I mean, if you're going to look at who's the best in 2022, you kind of have to look at historical data. You want to wait more recently, but you can't just look at last year because sometimes people have one good year and they kind of fall off. So you want to look at people that you trust with a longer track record of, of being good football players. Um, and then you just kind of weight it toward last year more heavily, obviously. So I'm not super mad about it. I, th- I think if he, if, if Rashawn can string two years together, he's going to be on the top of a lot of lists. So I, I, again, that's why I'm not super crazy on the whole Rashawn thing, despite the fact that, yeah, he might've been the best edge rusher in football last year, depending on what statistics you care most about. Um, at number 40, which just uh, makes my heart happy, Adrian Amos, Green Bay Packers. Amos is one of the most underrated players in the game and has a real argument to be seen as the league's best safety, or at least one of the best. Thank you, PFF. He has never had a bad season in the NFL, recording seven pass breakups along with three interceptions this past year. He has missed fewer than 10% of his tackle attempts in each of the past three campaigns. That's the biggest thing with Adrian Amos again. I mean, I've said this before, that there's no criteria that you can use. Even if the biggest argument is, for me, for Amos, is what they said about him never having a bad season, you could say, yeah, but he's not elite elite. Well, that's not true. Two years ago, he was the second highest graded safety in football. So you can't even use that. And if you want to say, well, it's, it was only one year. Well, it's it, it's not just one year, first of all, because he's been good every year. But yeah, he's only been the second best once. Well, nobody 
maintains first best, second best, third best more than one year in a row. Everybody fluctuates and vacillates. You might have a guy that maybe is top 10 two years in a row, but nobody stays at that level consistently. That doesn't happen. So you got a guy that does hit the stratosphere in terms of how good he can be when he's having a really good year, but you also have the consistency over, what, five, six years of being a really good safety every single year. And not only that, I think he's been top 20 the last... He wasn't last year. He was in like 30-something last year, I guess. But for about four years, five years, he was top 20. That's so unbelievably rare. So yeah, PFF finally giving him his due, which is kind of funny because one of the things I referenced, it was ESPN primarily, but even PFF had come out with a list that didn't really have Amos, I think, even in the top 10 safeties, which upset me. So obviously, whoever did that list is not the same person who did this list. Who did this list? It's probably the whole staff, I guess. I don't know. At number 23, David Bakhtiari says another player who had missed all of 2021. Bakhtiari played just 27 snaps in the regular season in an effort to get back to Green Bay's playoff run. Previously, when he's been fully healthy, Bakhtiari was the best pass blocking tackle in the game, allowing nine pressures across from 446 pass blocking attempts in 2020. A healthy Bakhtiari should be seen as an elite force in 2022. Again, kind of hard to argue. In fact, if anything, it's it's too high having missed an entire season and not really knowing the status of his health going forward. I don't know if I'd even put him at 23. But yeah, it's hard to not mention the best left tackle in football. And then finally, at 22, one spot ahead of him, Jair Alexander says Alexander missed the entire 2021 season with an injury, forcing Green Bay to lean on rookie Eric Stokes and Rizul Douglas. However, we're a year removed from seeing him play as well as any cornerback in the game. He earned a 90.6 PFF coverage grade and notched 13 pass breakups while allowing 50.7% of passes thrown his way to be caught in his last full season. It says highest graded cornerbacks in coverage since 2020. Jair Alexander is number one with a 90.8, Jalen Ramsey 90.0, and Xavier Howard 86.3. So again, I can come in here and nitpick a lot of things uh, in terms of people on here that I don't think should be on here, but I'm not mad about any of the Packers and where they're at. I don't think anybody necessarily was left off. Um, you could maybe say Devondre Campbell should be on the list, but again, I'm I. if you look at the historical data, it strongly points to a pretty strong regression so that at the very least, he's not going to be top 50. If you want to say top 100, fine, but top 50 is serious. Um, Kenny Clark, I think, would kind of upset a lot of people. And who knows, maybe he'll be in the top 20. I don't think he belongs in the top 20. Um, Elton Jenkins, maybe. I'm not I'm not mad about that. Aaron Jones, maybe. We'll see. We'll see who's in the top 20. I'm, I'm assuming it's just Aaron Rodgers, but you know, I mean, if you're talking top 50, there's only 32 teams. You're talking one to two players, one to two of the best players on every single team. And you're competing with, you know, the TJ Watts and the, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and all the quarterbacks that are going to be mostly within the top 20. So there's, there's just not a lot left over. So I'm certainly not mad about the list. And I think it's fair. I talk a lot about how, you know, the Packers get no respect. So obviously, if I was upset about it, I'd complain about it. But I, I think as far as this goes, no complaints. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.